When Michelle was 19, she went out dancing with her friends. And as she was getting ready to go out, she wrote a list, a kind of pep talk for herself. October 1998. You are going to have fun on Saturday. You'll dress up, go out, and hang out with Gary and Clint. You'll have fun dancing. You're not going to get drunk. (laughs) You'll be safe as long as you know what your limitations are. You are strong, confident, and you'll have your pepper spray. That's Michelle reading a pre-party pep talk list. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... Victoria, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Hello, it's nice to see you all. How you doing? Boy, oh boy. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Victoria, British Columbia, we have long-distance love letters, a nine-year-old's crisis of faith, and an envelope full of nude photos. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it has its pepper spray. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. Support for this podcast comes from CDW NHP. At CDW, we get that an unsecured laptop can put your company's data at risk, making you a little paranoid. I'm not paranoid. You're paranoid. CDW can implement a secure mobility solution using the HP EliteBook with Intel 8th Generation processors and SureView Privacy to protect your screen from prying eyes. Did you follow me here? IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash HP security. What was that? At our live events, readers usually get on stage by themselves. It's just them, their kid writing, and a microphone. But every once in a while, readers get on our stage together. And at our Victoria show, we got a real treat from a husband and wife duo who shared their teenage correspondence with some pretty important backstory. Trish and Rob are going to read a selection of the love letters they sent to each other 42 years ago. The context here, they were 16 and 18 years old at the time, and they were teenagers expecting a baby. Please welcome to our stage, Trish and Rob. One more thing you need to know, when Rob and Trish wrote these letters, they were apart. Rob had gone to Port Hardy to try and find a job at the mine there. So they were teenagers, 16 and 18, expecting a baby, and they were far away from each other. That's the backstory. Here's Rob. June 9th. I went to the mine this morning, and the personnel guy, Mr. Fox, said my work record wasn't very good. I know my past isn't good, but if I keep on bugging him, I will get on. I have to get on, or I can never be a real father. I really miss you lots, Robbie. I hope you're going to get a job soon. What are we going to do in three months? Something will work out, won't it? Oh, I sure hope so. And then Rob got a temporary job in the mine kitchen. Hi, I just had lunch, and I'm filled up to the top. Gee, you know what? I think I'm going to get fat. The food is so good. I just can't say no. 
I had corned beef, an omelette, mashed potatoes, vegetables, gravy, a big bun with lots of butter, and two glasses of milk. There's a lot of nice guys up here, but no girls. Boo-hoo. No, I'm just kidding. There are girls up here, but they're all ugly. Well, I love you, Trish. And then I did a drawing of myself looking at a naked Trish. <laughs> saying, with a voice, voice saying, hi there, sexy, hubba hubba. The baby is moving right now. It's a wonderful feeling. Hey, if it's a girl, do you think she'll be a little lady or will she follow her daddy around and wear work boots and jeans like her mother? Let's just hope she won't wear makeup like Tracy M. <laughs> I miss you real lots. You quit sending dirty letters. What if our kids read them someday? You won't want them to know that they have a horny father, do you? Well, I just got up and I'm hungry. I miss you a lot. <laughs> I keep getting a feeling inside as if I was crying. Do you know what I mean? Now I am crying. I really love you a lot. I stopped crying now. I've taken up poetry. <clears throat> alone. I sit here alone in a gray dark room. I think of you morning, night, and noon. My love grows every day, and I hope you'll come here to stay, for I will ever hold you in my heart, but for now, I must make a start. But for now, I just sit in this room, and I think of you morning, night, and noon. Well, what do you think? Should I be a poet? Huh? <laughs> well, I guess it's not that good, but I'm pretty proud of myself. It only took me 10 minutes to do. <laughs> good night, sleep tight, and don't let the bed bugs get you pregnant like I did. I'm so lonely. I went to my prenatal class today. Next week, we're going to the hospital tour. I'm really looking forward to the birth of our baby. I can hardly wait until we can be together. You be good. Don't eye the girls. Brush your teeth. <laughs> I think I'll have an afternoon nap. If you were here, I'd have an afternoon something else. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? I went to my second prenatal class today. We did mock labor. That's when you contract a muscle in your arm and practice your breathing techniques. You're supposed to practice these once a day with your husband. Poor me, I don't have a husband. I can hardly wait until we can be together. Brush your teeth. And then uh, Rob landed a job in a mine up north and we got married. Hi there, husband. I've been having contractions all the time. I practice my breathing whenever I get pains. Know what? Dixie went to Elton John. 8.50 a ticket. I think she's dumb, but that's her choice. Hi, wife. Are you watching Beachcombers? I am. It's pretty good. We only get two channels up here, but it's okay. Boy, I can hardly wait to come see you and the baby. Hurry up and have it. Bye-bye. 
October 6th. Hi, wife and daughter. I can hardly wait to see you again. All my love from your husband. P.S. Hi, Lorene, from Daddy. Hi, Dan. It's Lorene here, Trish and Rob's daughter. So I knew that my mom had kept the letters. I remember her pulling them out when I was a teen. She read us a few of them, and she talked about throwing them out at the time, but I'm glad that she didn't. I'm also glad that she didn't show us the picture my dad had drawn of her naked. I wouldn't want to have seen that, <laughs> as a teenager especially. Uh, what strikes me most about hearing these letters is, is just how young they were. I was really born to a couple of kids. And although they were kids, they were also uh, so determined to be good parents. I'm the first of five children. I'm really proud of them and who they have become. The ending made me tear up a bit. They really were excited to start a family, it seemed. One of the things I love about kid writing is how sometimes it holds a mirror up to adult life. When kids write about their parents or their teachers or their relatives, it lets us see the grown-up world through a completely different lens. At our Victoria show, Dean shared two journal entries written when they were 14. And as you'll hear, Dean didn't think much of certain adult activities. Dear Journal, Twas the night of Auntie Wendy's 25th wedding anniversary today. I don't believe I have ever seen such drunkenness. <laughs> Hardly any of the once sensible adult guests emerged with any notable sanity lurking within their poison minds. <laughs> I wonder on how future civilization might view such rituals. Barbarism, perhaps. Mayhap utter madness the same manner in which we might view the ancient holy traditions of witch-burning or drilling of the skull. I myself consumed but a small trifle of alcohol in an accidental encounter with a spooned dessert. Grammy said that the alcohol content was not nearly high enough to affect the mind and imbalance the humors. Though but minutes after consumption, I began to feel the effects. Losing my sense of balance, tripping over my own feet, and completely forgetting my common sense. How do people find joy in such experience? I have much to learn about the mind of the societally deranged. Dear Journal, months now have passed since I last wrote thee. So long it seems, though it has only been a few weeks. How strange is time. Too fast moving for my liking, and yet so long in memory. The year is short, yes, in the physical sense. But as I look back on the past 259 days, I realize how long it seems. Why am I so afraid of the coming year? 
likely because the thought tends to rekindle my bothersome fear of the unknown. My unnecessary fear of life, of death, of the afterlife, if any, of time, of tomorrow, of my future, of the past, of God. Why do the adults drive so late? It seems a rather sad routine to be driving constantly. Never a chance to see one's family, to hug the children. I should be thankful. I have no career. No dismal meetings to attend. No stress-related work or work-related stress. Savor thy childhood. Tis said to be a most precious gift. Dean, ladies and gentlemen. Jeans. They're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time. And in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Moving from one home to another can be hard, especially for kids. When Preeti was nine, she, her mom, and her sister moved from a basement in a brown Punjabi neighborhood to a house in a whiter neighborhood. And as you'll hear in her diary, Preeti had a difficult time with that transition, and it caused her to question some of her beliefs. Ever since we moved, I haven't gotten enough love, food, enjoyment. The only thing I've gotten enough of is insults and being treated badly. I wish we kind of haven't moved. October 23rd, 1996. I'm sorry to say this, but I don't believe in God anymore. He hasn't helped me in any way, really, for my whole life. He doesn't help anybody. He's made up. People achieve their goals themselves. Our lives are only in the hands of fate, not God. It really hurts me when my mother says that because I was born, her father and brothers died. She said that I'm bad luck, that if I wasn't born, none of them would have died. She always puts me down and insults me and my room. I miss my father. Nobody knows this, but I love him. The only thing is, he doesn't love me. I sometimes wish I were never born. I have lost everything in my life that ever meant anything to me has been taken away from me. Sindrich, my favorite schools, my favorite teachers, a noop, the best best friend I ever had, but it doesn't seem like a noop or anybody, for that matter, misses me as much as I miss them. January 28th, 1997. I haven't made an entry for a long time, so let me catch you up. I had lost my faith in God because of my parents, but my aunt told me something that changed that, that I might pass on to my children someday, but I don't think I'll have to because I'm going to give them a good life. Good, <laughs> meaning better than mine. Sometimes I just want to sit there and cry because I miss the way I used to feel at my old home on 132 B Street, Surrey, BC. 
I miss my friends. I miss the way my sister used to be. I used to have a pretty good life. Now the only reason that I'm not moving in with my dad is because I love my room and my mom's cooking. I mean, me, my mom, and my sister do not get along. Neither of us gets along with each other, and I can't tell anyone, no one. Sometimes I wish I had a therapist, someone I could tell everything to, but if I did tell anyone, I would probably have a social worker coming over to my house. <laughs> Michael Gordon is so cute. Finish talking later, or some other day, perhaps tomorrow. Is that the correct spelling? Anyways, ciao, bye-bye, au revoir. Can, but don't want to talk now, but talk later, okay? And then I have one last short one where things get a little better. August 30th, 1997. Sometime in your life, you realize how much your parents or parent really love you and why they do a lot of the stuff they do. I just recently found out. The last few days I realized how valuable the time I have with my family really is. I just recently started listening to my mom without talking back. <laughs> And I found out it's so much better this way. <laughs> Some people never change like I have. They just don't understand. Otherwise they do, but they don't care. Who knows, maybe I'm wrong. I don't need gifts from the people I love. Just having them there is enough. I don't know how I'd live without my mom, my sister, or my dad, but I do know I'm going to savor every moment I do have with them because I love them. I regret all the horrible things I've ever written in this diary. I take it all back. I also hope God will forgive me for writing this. Thank you. <laughs> strikes me most about those entries is the shift that they show from me moving to a whiter neighborhood where I didn't have a sense of community from a brown Punjabi neighborhood where I did have a really strong sense of community and how that community really held our family together when we were going through hard times and what its absence did when we didn't have them. Um, the advice I would give nine-year-old Breathy. I would tell her you are loved by your family who is here even when things are hard and by family you haven't even met. They think about you all that time and they're loving you and that love holds you and it will see you through. And I would also tell her that the reason things are sometimes so hard is so that you can develop a deeper well of empathy. And so you'll love other people really well and really hard and you'll always try to understand them better and that's a gift. So. Every time something hurts, try to understand why and how and relate to other people through it. When our next reader, William, was in grade one, he broke his arm and he wrote all about it. I hate having a cast. I hate, I hate, I hate having a cast. I can't hand things in with a cast. I hate, 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 hate having a cast. The end. My family. Some families are big. Some families are small. My family has six people in it. We work and play together. My mom is going to get me an iguana for my birthday. She didn't. I am six and a half. Kyle is three. 
Lee is one, and I have to mention, I didn't say anything about my sister. (laughs) I like eating and playing and watching TV. Too much TV, a million movies a day, and going to Percy Pegler School. My family loves and takes care of me. They give me food and clothes and a home. My family protects me. I love my family. In a similar vein, I wrote a four-page large Mother's Day card that reads, My mom hates cleaning up our room. (laughs) She loves naps. She hates drying the dishes. She loves reading. She hates fibs. But the important thing about my mom is she is nice. Finally, I wrote a thank you note to my teacher at the end of the year. It was very short. It reads, thank you for being my teacher this year. You love life and are full of it. A lot of what we hear on our stage is funny, or cute, or weird, but growing up is full of not-so-funny stuff, too, and I think it's important to remember that. Sometimes the most powerful readings on our stage deal with things that can be difficult to talk about. When Rhiannon was 14, she wrote a short story as part of a school assignment. It's called Evanescence, and as Rhiannon told me, it gets at a lot of the stuff she was working through as a teenager. Evanescence describes me beautifully, yet I know I'm far from ever coming close to being beautiful. It's hard to believe people actually think I'm confident. When it comes to ever wanting to say something, I will never get to say it. Life becomes particularly hard to bear when you're always on the receiving end of abuse. I don't go a single day without having to hear a snide comment or looking at yet another unforgiving face. There comes a point when all you've been told is all that will convince you. When you are constantly told you are fat or ugly, then surely, after several years of being told so, it must be true. I can't concentrate at school anymore, and I'm constantly haunted by the people who taunt me and my mates turning against me. I go through life in a daze. I wake up thinking about how horrible the day ahead could possibly be. I go to school, experience the day's woes, come home to nothing, and then go to sleep thinking about the day and everything else that's going wrong in my life. I can barely tell my mates anything. I'm not really sure how to express myself properly anymore. My parents know nothing about my life except whether my grades are good or not. Even that I'm failing at. Apparently I want to be a veterinary surgeon. Well, that's what my parents have been telling everyone since that's what I said when I was 11 years old. (laughs) Truthfully though, I want to be a singer, but judging by my unpopularity, I will never fulfill this dream. It is not only the fact that I know I have no idea what to do, but the fear that nothing will ever go right anyway that makes me sure I won't fulfill this dream. I can't face problems and have frequently lost mates due to inability to say how I feel. I fully admit that I can be an outspoken person, but never when it really matters. I've lost all sense of caring about loss. That's the way it always ends anyway, in loss. Jeez, I know I'm pretty depressing. I'm constantly told so. But if that's the way I feel, then surely I have the right to feel this way. Don't I? 
I have a very morbid outlook on life, sorry. I really don't see much point to mine. I'm aware of how passionately hated I am. I have actually been told to go die and that I belong in a morgue. Maybe I really should die. Every day I consider the prospect of death and every day the idea is turning it more into a plan. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that everyone would get what they want. As far back as I can remember, someone's always commented on my looks. As years progressed, the moments got worse. I never really saw my weight as a problem until I was in year eight, where everyone decides to tell me it was. <laughs> I actually stopped myself from eating for long periods of time just to get my weight down. It worked, but I was still called fat. When people notice me, it's for all the wrong reasons. I can't cope with daily life, and to wish to die is something I wish I didn't feel. Is it so wrong to ask for more out of life, to actually be acknowledged and not constantly discarded like some unwanted present? My presence seems to quieten people, almost like I'm not wanted. Evanescent, for those who are wondering, means disappearing after only a short time and soon forgotten. And just to, you know, end it all, things did get better. <laughs> I'm very proud of that. Yay. Very happy with my life. After the show, I asked Rhiannon what she would say to her teenage self if she could go back in time. I wish I could tell her how truly beautiful she'd be. She'd grab those awkward teen years and find boys actually like her. Um, she'll learn that it really doesn't matter if you're a little heavier at times and skinny at others. No one that matters in your life will care. Uh, mostly I wish she could have known that she would sing. She would record and make some pretty decent music, even if it never amounted to a crazy contract. You're you, and you should really own that. Even as an adult, I don't always abide by that advice myself. So, yeah, I guess I wish she knew that. Here at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, we love a good detective story, and that is exactly what our next reader brought. When Carolyn was 18, she and her friend Chris stumbled upon a mystery that they simply had to try and solve. And lucky for us, Carolyn documented every step in the case in her diary. As you'll hear, it all started with a trip to the local video arcade. Today was quite a day. Chris and I went downtown to the video arcade on Granville. As usual, I always have to wait around for her, but this time it was really worth it because she got high score after a couple of hours. <laughs> 30,840. <laughs> and anyway, it gave me a good chance to distract Alan while Chris was playing. <laughs> anyway, that's not the big news. When Chris and I left the arcade, we found something sitting on top of a garbage can beside the bus stop, an envelope just casually lying there. Chris picked it up and looked inside. Then she showed me. It had pictures in it, dirty pictures, of an ugly dude with an erection. 19 photos from all angles, even below. 
which was totally gross, but kind of fascinating. <laughs> we went back to the video arcade to, and went into the bathroom to get a better look at them. <laughs> and then we had a serious discussion. Number one, why would someone take photos like that? <laughs> And why would they leave them out in public? <laughs> well, for a secret pickup, obviously. We, and we must have intercepted the pickup. <laughs> Number two, who took the photos? Does someone have a vendetta against the ugly naked dude? <laughs> so Chris decided to tell Alan. He was in the staff room at this point, but she called him up to the front on business matters. Ha ha. I didn't want to tell him. I wanted us to solve this case all on our own. <laughs> Plus, I was kind of worried what Alan would think about us having these pervy pictures. But he was cool with it. He knows we're not a couple of squares. And this is the crucial part. He says he knows the guy. <laughs> he wouldn't tell us who, but he did, he did give us a hint. Robson Square Courthouse. Wow, that's serious. So putting two and two together, we think the guy is a judge. <laughs> He's too clean cut to be a bum. <laughs> so we walked down to the courthouse to get a feel for the place. We were so adrenalinized and excited. The thing is, if this guy is even slightly important, we can blackmail him! We have the negatives! Next, I wrote down a list of clues, and we decided to go back on Monday when the courthouse is open. This is a real case, and we're gonna solve it! May 11th, it's been a week since we started the case. I love going undercover. Almost every day we've gone down to the courthouse after school. No new clues yet, but we're hoping to sit, on, sit in on the murder trial of Joe Filipponi. This is totally unrelated to our case, but we may learn some important skills and details about criminal law. <laughs> Today we went to the arcade also, and Alan was there, and I flirted with him while Chris played. Later, we all agreed that Alan should be in, in on the case with us and he actually offered to make the blackmail call. <laughs> we think that if the, the ugly naked dude is a judge, he should be able to afford $10,000. <laughs> so we'll split the money three ways. <laughs> I'll use mine to get my very own apartment. It's about time I, I showed some independence. <laughs> I can't wait. After the show, Carolyn told me that she never did crack the case of the ugly naked dude, but for years afterwards, she would walk through the Robson Square courthouse in Vancouver, just in case. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Victoria Event Center in Victoria, British Columbia, and produced by Jenna Meisner. 
Our music is by Pottington Bear and Lullatone. If you like this show, you can now support it directly by becoming a patron. Your support helps us organize live events, record stories in as many different places as possible, and it helps us produce podcast episodes in a sustainable way. Patronage is completely optional, but it is greatly appreciated. You can visit grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com and click support the show, or even easier, follow the link in the show notes to this episode. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.